Hi, Manual Faith. Welcome to worship today. I'm so glad that you've joined us, whether you're in your home or in a coffee shop or whether you're in one of our venues watching live. We're just really glad that you're here. I don't know about you, but it's good to dig into the scriptures together. This has been a really, really difficult season. I feel like I say that every week, but but it's true. And today I just wanted to share a little bit more about what's going on in in our life as a family. This has been a challenging season for us too, like I've heard that it has been for many of you. Um, On May 7th, we woke up and we went outside to take out our trash cans and noticed that somebody had gotten into a car accident with our house. That's right, somebody, a drunk driver, ran into our guest room. Could have done without that. And then right after I got done filming our message for last weekend, uh, I found out that our puppy that we'd just gotten on May 1st had gotten stung in the paw by a bee. And last Wednesday evening, he ended up passing away. So all of the five of us in the family are gathering around him, petting him and saying goodbye. And listen, I get it. There's a ton of issues going on in the world right now. And in so many ways, those things seem and and are insignificant. But for our family, they just hit us really, really hard. But we all have things that go on in life. And we look at the news and we look at the landscape of our world. And if we're honest, sometimes we just ask this question, God, where are you? Where, Where are you in the midst of it all? In the protests that are going on, in in the injustice that's happening, in the pain, in the hurt, in the questions, God, where are you? And then we look back over the course of history and we see things like the Holocaust and all sorts of injustices that have happened. And we go, God, it just seems like sometimes you're silent when it seems like you should be really loud and it seems like you should be doing something. Uh, Philosophers would call this the problem of evil, right? And in so many ways, atheists would camp out on this and go, well, see, that's why you can know there's not a God, because there's so much evil in the world. And they'll say things like, listen, if God is all-loving and God is all-powerful, then why in the world is there evil in the world? (laughs) And it's a good question. And I think the follow-up question is, hey, God, If it doesn't seem like you're doing much about the evil in the world, should we be doing anything about the evil in the world? Like, should should we try to step in and do something when it feels, sometimes feels, like you're silent? See, these are essential questions for us as human beings. We, We have to wrestle with the question of what do we do with the problem of evil? What do we do with suffering? What do we do with injustice? What do we do with these issues, especially when it seems like God can be silent? See, that's the subject that Jesus tackles in this next parable that we're going to look at. If you have your Bible, please open with me. Matthew chapter 13. Jesus is going to tell another parable. And remember, a parable is simply a story that Jesus tells that he throws alongside of a reality that everyone already knows about. Today, he's going to talk about a field. Again, 
and he's going to talk about wheat and weeds growing up in this field. And once again, Jesus is telling this parable, and the parable is about the kingdom of God. Listen to the way that he begins this parable. Here's what he says in verse uh, 24 of chapter 13. Jesus says this, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. So once again, if you were with us last week, uh, we saw that God is the sower and that the field is our world. We're going to find the same thing today, that he's a, a sowing good seed into the field. It goes on, though, in verse 25 and for, through 28, listen to what Matthew records. It says, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? You, You want us to go and pull out all of those evil weeds? Now remember, parables are stories that are, caught, that, are, that are intended to create disorientation that would lead to spiritual awakening. So we're supposed to read the story and say, hmm, what in the world is Jesus talking about? I mean, in so many ways, he's answering that question. That question of how do we explain evil? God, if you're all good and you're all powerful, how do we explain the evil that is going on in the world and has been going on in the world? See, if you've asked that question, you're not the only one that's asked that question and you are not the first one that has asked that question. And Jesus has a four-word answer, okay? It's not one that we're necessarily gonna love. It's not gonna unpack every single nuance of evil, but his, here's his four-word answer. There is an enemy. There is an enemy. So, so Jesus, or, or God, only sows good seeds. But he's not the only one sowing seeds. There is such a thing as evil in our world. It is a reality and one that we have to contend with. Otherwise, we're going to blame everything that happens on God. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Isn't God sovereign, Ryan? Like, isn't God in control of everything? Well, let me answer your question. Yes, God is sovereign. Is God in control of everything? Sort of, sort of. And let me unpack that for us because I think this is really, really important for our discussion today and even as we look at the landscape of our cultural moment. See, a lot of people think that sovereignty or God's sovereignty means that God controls every little thing that happens. But that simply isn't the way that the scriptures describe sovereignty. In fact, if you were to open to Psalm chapter 115, verse 3, I think it gives us a great definition of sovereignty. Here's what it says. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that pleases him. See, you may even want to write this down, that sovereignty does not mean 
that God controls every little thing. It means that God can do anything. And part of what God has chosen to do in his sovereignty is give beings, both human and spiritual, free will. And so when Jesus is asked, what's the deal with evil? What's the deal with suffering? Why are there weeds growing up amongst the wheat? His answer is four words. There is an enemy. That's what he says. That's how he explains it. It's not a complex uh, explanation. It's not a nuanced one. It's not one that goes in depth like we would want him to, to explain every situation. And whether it's the enemy or the flesh or the devil, the three enemies of our soul that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 2, But Jesus just simply says, there's an enemy. There are opposing forces to the kingdom of God in your life and in our world. And if we don't get that, we will blame every bad thing that happens on God. Yeah, God only sows good seeds, but God is not the only one who's sowing seeds. I would invite you to write this down. This is where we're going to camp out today. Because I want to answer this question, God, there's times where it feels like you're silent in the midst of evil and suffering. And God, if you're silent, how should we respond? What should, what should we do as disciples, as followers, as people who have this kingdom seed of justice and love living in our hearts and growing in our souls? How should we respond? How do we live in your way with your heart? Would you write this down? Evil opposes God's kingdom, certainly does, but it must be confronted with God's methods. Evil opposes God's kingdom, but it must be confronted with God's methods. And would you lean in for just a moment? I think that's so important for our cultural moment, for our moment in history right now, because rightly so. There's people that are frustrated. There's people that are angry. There's people that are fed up. But if we respond out of pain and out of brokenness, rather than out of being centered in the gospel, we're going to go about the battle in a way that Jesus never intended us to go about the battle. And what I want to do today is I want to teach you from the scriptures how to respond to evil in a way that furthers the message of the gospel rather than simply pacifies our pain because that's what we want to do as followers of the way of Jesus. You know, lately we've been talking a lot about all the things going on in our world and and rightfully so. But as we look at this parable that Jesus is going to tell and the way that we oppose evil using God's methods, that applies to um, issues in our marriages, issues in our schools, at work, when you're wronged at work. I mean, this, this applies to the many police officers that have reached out to me and have gone, right, I feel like I'm being wronged in this too. I don't know what to do and where to go. I've been lumped into the hole. And so... Man, as we look at this parable, it applies broadly to all areas of life. You know, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 28, listen again to what Jesus said, because he's responding to their question, what should we do with evil? And he says, and it said to them, an enemy has done this. An enemy has done this. 
So, so the servant said to him, then what do you want us to do? Do you want us to go gather them? Do you want us to go like pick all of the weeds and get rid of them, Jesus? I, I'm sure you'd probably want us to do that, right? Well, let's pause for a moment and just think about the kinds of evil that Jesus has seen. I mean, certainly he's seen political evil or political wrong under the uh, oppression of the Roman Empire being taken advantage of. He's seen social evils where certain people are kept on the outsides. He's seen religious evil where the Pharisees have taken advantage of people and used the idea of God in order to oppress people. And he knows that he's going to experience personal evil. He's walking towards a Roman cross. So when Jesus talks about evil and tells us what to do about evil, he doesn't do so from the outside looking in. He does this from a very personal, personal, intimate, first-person level. And here's what he says to his disciples. No, no. Like, don't go to the fields and try to pick out the weeds and try to pull them up and exert force in order to get your way. Listen to what he says. But he said to them, no less, uh, no, less in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. So here's what I'd like you to write down. As we engage with God's method of confronting evil, we first have to grasp the complexity of badness. I, I know it's not a great word for it, but we have to grasp the complexity of badness. And don't miss that Jesus tells us exactly why we shouldn't go out into the field and try to pluck up every single weed. Here's what he says, because your discernment isn't great, because inevitably you will pluck up wheat along with the weeds. Yeah, yeah, evil or badness is complex. And when he talks about weeds, he uses this Greek word, zizania. Would, would you say that with me, even if you're in your home? Zizania. And it's a, a, a long piece of grass or a weed that would grow in a field that would look very similar to a piece of wheat. And so what Jesus is saying is sometimes things look a certain way but actually your discernment is off. You're not seeing things quite accurately. In fact, do you know that most of us agree with people that agree with us? Most of us come around people and support people that support us. I mean, we could find out that Mother Teresa didn't agree with us and we'd be like, Mama T, I mean, she was just a little bit off, wasn't she? I mean, most of the way that we interact with people is based on our own preferences and our own ideas. And what Jesus says is when you try to confront evil, sometimes you're, if you go after it and try to assault it and try to force your way into overcoming it, you're going to pull up wheat along with the weeds. And he says, essentially, don't do that. But here's what I want you to, to just grapple with a little bit. Let's go a layer deeper. Because certainly we can see, okay, maybe our discernment about good and evil isn't all that good when we look at the world. But what about our, our own souls? Did you know in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, it says, anyone who loves is born of God. So if you, if you love, raise your hand, raise your hand. I, I do. Did you know that in 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, it says anyone who does not love or anyone who does not practice righteousness is born of the devil. So 
Let's do this again, a little bit more uncomfortable this time. Don't look around the room, okay? How many of you have ever not, ever not loved? Me. I, I, I'm a part of that category. I, I, I don't always practice righteousness. And so maybe, maybe this is a far more complex issue than most of us think. So many of us, myself included, are this mixture of, of good and right and, and also of, of wrong, of things that Jesus is purifying and Jesus is making new. And if we go in and we try to weed out all of the weeds, what do we have to do to our own soul? I, I think the Russian uh, author and novelist, philosopher Alexander Solzhenitsyn captured it well. Here's what he said. If only we were all so simple. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and there were and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. That you and me. And I think what Jesus is saying is, whoa, whoa, before you start trying to rip out the weeds, we've got to understand the complexity of badness. But listen to the way he goes on, because he's going to give some instruction here. Verse 30, he says, instead, let both grow together until the harvest. Let both grow together. That word let in other translations in the NASB and others is the word allow. In the Greek, it's the word afete. Now, there's two primary translations of that word in your New Testament. The first is let or allow or release. Let it happen. The other, and this, they translate it this way over a third of the times, forgive. Forgive. Forgive that the weeds might grow up along the wheat. Let it happen or forgive it happening. And I know you go, okay, Ryan, come on now. I'm familiar with John Stuart Mill's quote. The only thing that it takes for evil to flourish is for good people to do nothing. And I think Jesus would say, absolutely. Yes. And amen. That is true. And what I want you to hear is not Jesus saying to you, well, just let the field go. Who cares? That's not what he's saying. He's actually calling us to advocate for good, but he's saying the way to approach opposing evil is not to try to rip it out, not to violently oppose it or abuse it or go after it in that way, but to suffer it, to forgive it, to love it, to enter in in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. That's what he's saying. Now, all we have to do is read the life of Jesus to know that he didn't sit passively back and just let evil flourish. No, he confronted it. He drove out demons. He called out the Pharisees. He was for the oppressed. He, he said to people, no, you're not going to stone this woman. But he did so in a way of love, of love. Yeah, this parable, please hear me on this, isn't saying that we don't do anything about evil and injustice. It's saying the way that we go about our doing is just as important as the doing itself. Because the method of how we confront evil is a part of the message that we deliver. 
It is a part of the message that we deliver. So the point that Jesus is making is that evil and badness in the world is not dealt with by attacking it or assaulting it, but rather by forgiving it, by suffering alongside of it. That's what he's saying. And this is exactly what we see him modeling with his life when he goes to the cross. And then he calls us in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 45. He says this, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sends the rain on the just and the unjust. Love the way that the early church father, John Chrysostom, said it. He said, Jesus doth not forbid our checking of heretics, but he does forbid our killing and slaying of them. Yeah, love is a confrontation. Love is a response. And what Jesus says is eventually that love will overcome evil. Write this down. Not only do we have to wrestle with the complexity of badness, but we have to trust the power and the methodology of goodness. See, the best way to confront evil is to grow the kingdom of love and justice and goodness and peace and hope and patience and to grow it by the power of the Spirit working within us. Friends, this week, pray for your enemies. Jesus commands us to. Most of us think that's a good idea, but we very rarely practiced it. Pray for our enemies. Uh, Maybe another practical way to live this out is we help to meet the practical needs of the people around us. Maybe you share your life. Maybe you share your story. Maybe you ask somebody theirs and and you listen. This is coming alongside of people. Or maybe, maybe you start to trust that Jesus really did mean it when he said, oh, the harvest, it's plentiful, but the workers are few. See, Jesus ended this section and listen to what he said. He said, let them both grow up together until harvest. And at the harvest, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. You see, elsewhere, if you jump forward just a few verses where Jesus explains this parable, uh, jump with me down to verse 39 and listen to the way he explains this section. He says, the harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. We don't have time for that. That's just fascinating. Verse 40, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let them hear. See, the early followers of Jesus, they held on to this promise that shaped the way that they dealt with evil in their lives and in the world. Here here was the conviction that they had. Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, he will judge the living and the dead. Literally, he will make every wrong right. See, we long for the world that is righted, for evil to be called what it is for the ways that people have been taken advantage of. 
or abused to be illuminated and brought into the light. And what Jesus is saying, friends, hear me on this. Please don't miss this. That day will come. We can advocate for justice and in a loving way we are called to and we are called to push forward against evil. But we have to keep in mind the reality that one day Jesus will right every wrong. So please write this down. Not only do we have to wrestle with the complexity of badness and we have to be trusting in the power of goodness, we have to live today in light of eternity. And see, the only way that you can operate with the kind of love that Jesus is calling you and me to operate with, with hope, with forgiveness, with light, and with light in our world is trusting that God will one day bring the world to rights. Listen to Romans chapter 12, verses 14 through 21 from the message version. I love the way that Eugene Peterson paraphrases this. Here's what he says. Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be a great somebody. (laughs) Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, God says. I'll take care of it. Our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. If he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. Let that sit for just a moment. Get the best of evil by doing good. That's the calling that Jesus is giving us to live in his kingdom. See, the cross of Jesus isn't just something that purchases our new life. It certainly does that. But it also gives us a model of how to live as new creation. And so as we close our time together today, I just want to give us three things to really sink our teeth into as we apply this parable to our life today. See, if you were to go and keep on reading, there's two more parables that follow in the next three verses. One is a parable about a mustard seed that starts out as a small seed and then grows to be a huge bush. The second is a leaven that gets in bread and starts out almost invisible, but then permeates the whole. And Jesus tells these parables to give us great confidence as we live in his world and as we embrace his kingdom. See, here's the first thing that I want you to write down. As we look at the fact that the mustard seed is tiny, the leaven is inconspicuous, the seed goes into the ground, and yet, and yet, they all grow to fruition to bless the world and to overcome evil. Here's the first thing I want you to write down. Perseverance. Perseverance. We have to live with this conviction that even in the midst of the pain and the brokenness and the evil of our world, Jesus is at work. 
and we can partner with him in his kingdom. Now, here's the thing. In all of these parables, kingdom growth is not instantaneous. It's a process. It doesn't happen in a moment. It happens in transformation of our hearts and our minds and our souls. So we just need to admit, we want things to happen fast. We live in a microwave world. Studies have shown if a YouTube video takes more than a few seconds to load, we are out of there. And I think the most of us treat our spiritual lives in the exact same way. We want it to happen fast, but it's more like a seed that takes a while to start to grow and to bear fruit. See, by contrast uh, to the world around us, God is never in a hurry. And listen, if that frustrates you, I'm with you. But I think part of the challenge of discipleship is to ask the question, can we move as slow as God? Can we move as slow as God? I mean, think about it. The early followers of Jesus were waiting for the Messiah to come and overthrow the Roman Empire. And Jesus, their Messiah, came and he didn't do what they wanted him to do. They had to wait. They're still waiting for that. But in the meantime, as you persevere, celebrate small victories. Identify progress where you see it. Throw a party. Get excited. When, when you see progress in a marriage that you feel like is dead or cold, be excited about it. When you see transformation begin to happen in relationships or friendships or with your kids or at a job, celebrate that. That's okay. You don't have to get to the fin- end of the finish line in order to celebrate. Celebrate progress along the road of transformation and celebrate it in your own life too. See, write this down right alongside of perseverance. Don't let a lack of visual progress prevent you from continuing to live in the way of love. And here's the second thing I want you to write down. Confidence. Confidence. In every single one of these parables, the kingdom is victorious. I mean, sure, there's weeds that grow up amongst the wheat. Uh, There's a challenge that happens amongst the seed. There's opposition. But in the end, in the end, God is victorious. In fact, Jesus would say it like this. The gates of Hades cannot prevail against my kingdom. I will win. I will be victorious. Yeah, the enemy is a nuisance, but he's never an actual threat. The success of the kingdom is inevitable is inevitable. Write this down right next to confidence. Don't let the growth you see determine your view of God's capacity. Don't let the growth you see determine your view of God's capacity, of what's possible. And so in a world that in many ways feels frayed and feels like it's falling apart at the seams, as a follower of Jesus, I want to plead with you to read the end of the story, to remember that Jesus has conquered sin and death, that he is victorious and he will be victorious. And you can live today and tomorrow and every day after that with confidence. There is an enemy of your soul. Don't get me wrong. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come that you may have life and that you may have it to the full. Put your anchor in that truth today and live with confidence. Be confident about what God's going to do here at Emmanuel Faith Community Church. Be confident about what God's going to do in your marriage, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family. Be confident the seeds of the kingdom are being scattered by 
the sower. I mean, think of how hard it would have been for Jesus's early disciples, 120 of them, to be confident after their Messiah ascends to heaven. But look at the kingdom of God now. Finally, here's my last call. Live with devotion. Live with devotion. There's a lot of things that could take us off course that we would um, go into ways of living out the mission of God that wouldn't reflect the methods of God. So when I call you to devotion, I call you to worship, but I also call you to live in his way with his heart. Write this down right next to devotion. Don't change your method because of the madness. Don't change your method because of the madness or because of pain. Yeah, these are challenging days. Some of the things we've seen over the last few weeks have taken our breath away. And I sense there's some desire in us, in me, to respond in hate and violence and in anger. I understand that. But I feel like having chosen this parable way before any of this happened, I feel like this is almost a prophetic word that's calling us forward in a different way, in a different way. And so I want to call us to live as children of God, to live in his way, with his heart, perseverance, confidence, devotion, that we wouldn't try to rip out the weeds, but that we would just simply become and plant wheat, the kingdom of God, love and justice in us, through us, and all around us for his glory.